This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, August 27, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. When New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman aimed his powerful office at the producers of dietary supplements, it initially seemed that he'd uncovered a massive fraud. That is, until scientists told him that his evidence was fatally flawed. Cato's Walter Olson discusses New York's assault on dietary supplements. As you note in your uh, City Journal piece, supplements as a category have generally been fairly lightly regulated until recently. So uh, can you give us a little, just a little bit of a history of how supplements have been treated by the federal government? Nutritional supplements, which includes herbal supplements, have gotten a special light regime of federal regulation. And uh, Senator Hatch, I think, was one of the original people responsible for telling the FDA that they could not march in and um, regulate with as heavy a hand as they did for pharmaceuticals uh, and the like. And so there have been complaints over the years that uh, there are marketing problems, for example, that there uh, are loose claims made about the health effects of uh, herb supplements and that more recently there were worries in uh, the literature about whether or not they were being manufactured so you were actually getting the intended supplements. The federal government's light touch did not stop New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman to decide this: the state of New York is going to look into what's in these supplements and whether or not they pass muster. So what was the muster? He had them tested and he found that supplements sold at major retailers, uh, less than half of them contained any DNA from the plant that was advertised uh, on the label. And the suggestion clearly was, and this was picked up by the press from coast to coast, suggestion was that this was fraud, that they had not put in the plant that they were claiming to be a supplement of. Uh, they had used filler. They had used whatever, rice powder, powdered house plants. And this created a sensation because uh, out there in consumer land, uh, people thought, uh, in the first place, I've been gypped. I've been paying good money for something that didn't include the plant. Secondly, if I've been doing it for health reasons, as most people do, uh, my health is in danger. So there was an enormous amount of consumer upset out there. And people stopped patronizing stores. People uh, worried about their health. All sorts of bad things happened. The press uncritically repeated the claims of the attorney general. And that's about the time that scientists got involved to say. When the scientists looked at it, first they were puzzled. And then they began asking questions. And this included scientists who were highly critical of the herbal supplement industry and its marketing. But they said, you wouldn't be testing the finished pills or capsules for DNA. And the reason is that they are sold as the active ingredient in the plant. And most of them go through extensive processing, boiling or filtering or uh, <clears throat> the use of solvents to get out whatever the special chemical is that the plant produces. And as Peter Cohen from Harvard said, uh, if it's done right, you don't expect the DNA to survive in a form that will show up on testing. In fact, the more carefully and industrially it's done, the less likely it is that DNA will survive. So the result that Schneiderman got should have been the opposite of what he was looking for. Right. He appears to have 
apply to test without understanding that it's a test that only makes sense if you're testing raw ingredients. If you've got a shipment of some herb that's come into the factory and you want to make sure it's authentic, yes, that's when you use DNA testing. But if you're trying to make sure that the capsule that leaves the factory has the active ingredient, you've got to use a different test. Uh, what's interesting is that if the press is uncritically repeating these claims, and as you said, major retailers are involved, GNC, Walmart, others, companies that are worth a lot of money, um, he is able to harm these companies uh, even though ultimately they were found to have done nothing wrong. State attorneys general have a lot of power, and especially the attorney general of New York, who's working with the most powerful underlying law, uh, the Martin Act, of any of these. And as a result, companies are told by their lawyers, it's not worth fighting. You can't win. Uh, the best you can do is to negotiate some sort of settlement. And that's what began happening almost immediately with uh, Schneiderman's cases here. They reached agreements with them, and I'm using the, the pilot agreement as typical, in which they didn't change the formulation of the product, uh, didn't really change what they said about it, put on a little bit of new uh, warnings saying uh, active ingredient is different from original plant in case you wondered about that. And the Daily News reports it here, the company admitted no wrongdoing, paid no fine, and was allowed to go back to selling exactly the same products manufactured in exactly the same way. Yeah. And Snyderman, of course, sent out press releases saying he had been vindicated. <laughs> And this is a, a proof that he had not been talking through his hat. But to the rest of us, it's a somewhat grimmer lesson, which is you can be as wrong as wrong can be in the business of being a state attorney general, and you just go on winning. So what is the Martin Act, and why does this give, in particular, the attorney general of New York such a broad authority? The Martin Act has to do with financial regulation, and he has various other tools in his toolkit, too. But... The Martin Act allows a New York attorney general to keep an investigation totally secret or to leak whatever documents he wants. It's totally up to him. Uh, it provides that the regulated company has fewer procedural rights than they would if the federal government were going after them or if other states were going after them. And you know, the history of this has been explained as New York created this because they realized that having the stock exchanges, they were always going to attract some fly-by-night, genuinely dishonest type of operators. And for decades and decades, that was the deal. The New York Attorney General was given more powerful than almost any other, more power than almost any other official in the country, but used it in order to keep the obvious sleazeballs out of New York. And then Elliot Spitzer came along, and Elliot Spitzer said, wait a minute, I've got these powers. I can use them against Merrill Lynch and Bank of America. And all, anyway, so he used them against all of the household names, which, of course, folded their hands almost immediately. You can't stand up against a prosecutor who's got that much power. And Spitzer's successors, Andrew Cuomo and Eric Schneiderman, have never looked back. They love using that power, and no one will call them on it. Schneiderman, in particular, has been able to, in some settlements, uh, arrange it so that the distribution of those funds or the use of the, the funds that were uh, received, he would have sole discretion over how they were used. They didn't go to the New York State General Fund. 
It's kind of amazing. And he is not the only AG to pull this stunt. Uh, it had been done in California uh, by Attorney General Bill Lockyer and by various others. But you see how much political power it confers on one of these fairly obscure officials. They can take a settlement that may be a billion dollars, maybe $500 million. And if they can write it through their own office uh, to decide where to send it, you know, maybe they'll send some of it to their law school. That's happened. Maybe they'll send some of it to their favorite charities. That happens. Uh, or maybe they will send it to things within the government that the legislature wasn't funding or, uh, you know, allies' operations. Uh, <clears throat> this is a remarkable source of unaccountable money. And in New York, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo fought him for it at a classic kind of turf war saying, you just got a whole bunch of money. It's totally unaccountable. I want you to hand over some of it to me so I can use it totally unaccountably. I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but he, um, after the negotiations, Schneiderman agreed to give some of it over to the New York General Fund for the other politicians to use as they wished. But he retained control to aim a lot of it at his own political allies. And he's closely associated with so-called work Families Party, which is a union-supported political formation, and it's got a 501c4 that it works with, and Schneiderman gave them a whole bunch of money. They are uh, you know, political allies just as surely as anyone in the state, and uh, when you are an attorney general these days, you sometimes have power to um, appropriate money, as it were, without going through your state legislature. I'd point out... The Attorney General of the State of New York is probably the figure with the most power over business regulation um, anywhere in the country who is not in Washington, D.C. And it's remarkable that someone was able to come forward, not really known outside of New York, um, very much uh, one of the most important left-wing figures in the country now, uh, but not like Bill de Blasio because he got a, elected in a high-profile national race, mayor of New York City, uh, got elected on a down-ballot race in New York, and in some ways is more influential nationally uh, than Bernie Sanders or Bill de Blasio or you name which very far left figure. There he is, uh, sitting pretty politically, uh, with no one willing to challenge him who's got uh, much of a political career to lose. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.